0: International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Good morning. This is Kathy Bird. We're on the Fresh Art International show on Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. We're broadcasting live this morning, and today our subject is filmmaking. We're here to celebrate a local filmmaking movement known as Borscht. That's Borscht like the soup, V-O-R-S-C-H-T. The mission of Borscht Corporation is, uh, and it's Borscht is a collective of local filmmakers, is to claim control of mythmaking about the city of Miami by telling the stories themselves. And I have several guests here in the studio today, including founders of the collective and We'll also be sharing a conversation I recorded last week with Filipino-American artist Alexa Lim Haas, whose film made it to the big screen at this year's 10th edition of the Boers Film Festival. Let's start by a little moment of silence to contemplate the somber theme of the 10th festival. It was a five day extravaganza that actually began with a funeral. Art International Show, and I'm Kathy Bird. A duo called Dracula performed this song at the film festival opening night uh, at an event called Valorio. Valorio means funeral in Spanish, and the funeral was this amazing event where these two sang. There was a ceremony, a casket carried out of the place, a bonfire. Uh, Doris and Eli are the principal members of Dracula, a two-piece acoustic band from Miami. And what you just heard was actually a pair of songs, Te Exaltare and Las Diez Virgenes. It was sung here in a medley form, which has been sung traditionally in Christian churches around Latin America. And Eli learned these songs through his father. In the studio with me today is Naib. Estefan. I'm really happy to have you with me here today. Naib is the founder of the Secret Celluloid Society. He's also an active member of Borscht and has made films himself. He's played in films, and I've asked him because he's particularly excited about the theme for the Borscht Film Festival this year. Tell us why that festival started with a funeral.
1: Well, you always have to die a thousand times before you're reborn, I guess. And, um, you know, it's important. uh, Someone said the good thing about life is that it changes. And if you're not changing, you're dead. So um, things are changing and things are moving. And uh, this year was a lot of new, very interesting ways of looking at things and new perspectives. And I think from new perspectives, we are able to grow new ideas.
0: How were you involved with Borscht?
1: Well, some of the stuff that we did this year was talked about, funnily enough, almost five years ago. Um, The idea of bringing screenings out of the cinema and into different spaces, uncomfortable spaces, um, taking people out of their comfort zone. Uh, this is something that we've been talking about for a while and something that's kind of materialized in my work as well in Secret Celluloid Society, where now uh, the main push is to mobilize 35 millimeter projection and take it out of the Cinema Palace uh, projection room and bring it to to the people and to different uh, locations.
0: Let's talk about the... Organized chaos, I would call it. That was the five days. What kinds of things went on? I know we're going to talk about your film projection. Well, but
1: we, we thrive on organized chaos, and um, it's it's getting uh, easier to pull off with more support, not only from friends and from people, locations, uh, but also from people like the Knight Foundation who are helping us to mobilize. And there's Lucas. Hey, Lucas.
0: Good morning, Lucas. Good morning. Lucas Leva's just joined us. Happy to have you.
2: Thank you. Did you have your cafecito? No, actually, I, I didn't. We
0: talk. were just talking about this organized chaos that was borscht this year. We talked about what inspired you really to do this play on words.
2: Actually, I think it was naive. It was a 10th festival, but it was also sort of like a crossroads for us. We're always trying to evaluate whether or not we should still exist. Uh, we never want to become sort of one of those institutions that just kind of sucks up funding and resources. And you see increasingly diminished returns on the initial um, mission statement um, as it kind of, like, grows. And, uh, yeah, so we're always trying to see if, like, okay, does Miami, like, still need a borsh? If so, what does that look like? Um, And I think this year, like, kind of showed that our initial mission statement, um, you know, we, when we started this conversation a decade ago, or more, um, you know, the idea of making independent films in Miami was very much a joke still. Um, and now I think that you know, with the at the end of the festival of Miami Made Film that like, uh, you know, won Best Picture at, at the Academy Awards, it says like it's come a long way in that sense. So what's the next thing for Miami filmmaking? What's the best way it can help? Sorry, I'm a little scrambled, literally just walked through the door. <laughs> Good morning. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, to introduce him now that he's in the hot spot here, Lucas Leva is one of the founders of Borst, which is a film festival that encourages Miami films, films to create a new narrative about Miami culture and life and people that, that live here and all kinds of inventive projects were screened during the festival. You don't just try in your festival to do films alone. You, you add so many other components. One this time was this choral morphology event at the New World Symphony where you had all these virtual reality opportunities and a big concert.
2: Oh, look, John Kane's here, too. Oh, there he is. <laughs> um, we're always trying to sort of... Um, you know, it, it's kind of silly to uh, just play films in dark theater in Miami, I think, as a film festival. Now most people can get any film they want, even obscure ones, online almost immediately and watch it anywhere they want. So it's really about what is special about cinema. Um, and to me, that's sort of uh, being in the room with other people feeling the same things together um, and sort of experiencing you know something as a community, which is sort of like why... For example like what naive's organization does is so special where like he makes events out of like screening kind of films that almost a lot of people have seen actually but the way his events are fit together it's very exciting because there's like this collective energy and it's uh, um, yeah it's an event so we always c- kind of like try to bring cinema out of the screen um, and so the choral morphologic thing was just like an example of that what's the best way you know Coral Morphologic, they're these local uh, marine biologists, artists and, you know, we've worked with them for years and they had this footage that was basically of a coral reproductive process um, and the thinking was, what's the most exciting way to screen this footage and in conversation with them in conversation with a lot of uh, different people, we came up with this idea of like, it'd be great to be immersed in that and projection mapping that as big as we can. And then instead of just, like, you know, having music in the background, let's do a live score with Animal Collective. Um, you know, and most of our ideas always start, like, that big, and then inevitably we run into the brick wall of reality. But that one kind of, <laughs> yeah, we, and we end up, like, with 30% of the original vision. But that one sort of came um, pretty close, at least conceptually, to the original idea. There were giant corals uh, ejaculating on the wall of the New World Symphony, and Animal Collective did do a live score. Mission accomplished. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. I loved that evening, and I thought it it totally transformed the New World Symphony. The walls, the ceilings, the space itself, with the big beanbag chairs and all the people lying on the floor down there, it was mm. it was super. And that leads me to the next event that I went to. I was lucky to go to this midnight screening of a cult classic film directed by Louis C.K. titled Pootie Tang, and master- that's the night I met you, naive. <laughs>
1: The masterpiece.
0: And you presented it inside a small screening room and uh, Naive's been talking a little earlier about the fact that this was the first mobile 35 millimeter screening for the Secret Celluloid Society which he'll be talking to us more about. Um, I want to talk about this film and about that evening but first we have to hear the track from the trailer All of right. Pootie Tang
3: in modern day america the corporations run
2: our lives but one man is prepared to take our country back
3: Put-a-tang. Ah. Put-a-tang. Put-a-tang. Hi. this summer oh. meet a superhero like no other pootie tank one bad brother man a tank with your butt so bad that you can write it off on your taxes.
4: Since the inception of Pootie Tang's ad campaign, sales are down thirty percent.
3: He steals from me.
2: I want him dead. Dead, dead, Pootie! Man, Pootie, I did it again. Paramount Pictures presents in association with MTV Films and Chris Rock Productions.
3: We got Pootie Tang in the house tonight. A man too cool for words. So let's listen up to the new record by Pundit Tank.
1: Turn that noise down. Put it not Need no words. Don't even need no music. You could
0: set my body
1: ablaze, you skinny, wonderful man. Lance Crowther.
2: Wanda Sykes.
1: Give me some more of your juicy neck bone one more time.
3: And Chris Rock. Daddy? you damn right on your daddy. Booty Tag. You are funny, man. God I take.
0: Good morning. This is Kathy Bird with the Fresh Art International Show. We're live on Jolt Radio in Miami Beach. I'm here in the studio with members of the Borsch Collective and they're obviously gonna shake up my day with this show. <laughs> While we were listening to Pootie Tang, John David Cain came in. Hey. He's another one of the members of the collective. Hey, that Pootie Tang <laughs> <Sorry.
1: laughs>
3: That
0: Pootie Chang was a wild film. Let's describe it naive. What the heck was going on in that film?
1: I think before we discuss Pootie Tang, I'd like to uh, sing you Pootie Tang's hit. Ready? Okay. There it is.
0: That's true. I loved how everyone Woo. rocked out to that.
1: There it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> everyone in the studio, we couldn't stop ourselves. Wow.
1: Sarate, that was uh, it. Was an incredible screening Sa-da-tay. for more reasons than one. Um, for the first time. We were able to rip the projection booth out of the cinema palace and bring a 35 millimeter screening to people in a theater that was designed for digital screenings so we are uh, really excited because it really did feel like a very strange experiment that went really well and um, the crowd was insane they were loving it they were cheering every real change and we were really honored by uh, being able to be part of the festival with this new experience,
5: I, I just want to chime in there and say, as far as festival screenings go, that was probably one of my favorite screenings of the fest because uh, it was 35 millimeter. It was this intimate crowd, and because it was the mobile projection unit, we got to experience what it was to watch a film in reels. Because um, you know, the the and 35 millimeter, unlike digital, you know, you have. Uh, one file when it's digital and it plays all the way through, but thirty five millimeter you have to change reels and it's something that we never think about because you know when that happens in a theater, it's seamless. but when it was uh, this mobile uh, projection unit that naive had brought out for the first time uh, there there was a pause in between each reel change, and we got to watch each reel roll out uh, and there was a huge applause from the audience and everybody went, it was really rowdy and, really and having insane. fun that screening yeah. yeah and then and then there was like a minute or two uh where we all were just reflecting on the reel we had just watched <laughs> yeah. while the second reel or the third reel and so on and so forth were being loaded. So it was the first time I got to think about making a film in terms of reels rather than you know a three-act structure or you know one uh, one piece of work itself. But it was like this, chapters. This was, yeah, exactly. It was five different chapters of a film and how uh, uh, each one was was complete like each each reel itself had a beginning middle yeah, and end totally. uh, you know conclusion um, and I had just never thought about making a film that way before but uh, yeah I found that screening to be
1: a it, lot of fun it, it was a moment in time that's for sure and uh, it's something that will never happen to us again you'll never have your first mobile 35 millimeter screening ever again right we were there we saw it first <laughs> yeah, you were there Kathy
0: naive you were saying you were nervous
1: I told you not to say that. <laughs> we, were, we were all nervous. I mean, you know, as you should be when you're trying something new. And, and, you know, I think that fear is part of you getting out of your comfort zone. And I think that the festival this year had a lot of that going on where there was a lot of getting out of the comfort zone for everybody in terms of, you know, events, content. Um, everybody got pretty brave this year in terms of trying new, interesting, crazy stuff and uh it was an honor to be a part of it to be honest
2: yeah the experience of the festival is is one of absolute terror at all times i got um, tested
1: i second that
5: yeah, yeah for so, real.
2: because it, if it it we're we're so stupid that um, <laughs> if something is like pretty desti- like we know it's going to work more or less and that we've ironed it out it we lose interest in doing it so all of our events are sort of like these experiments that could go horribly wrong and occasionally they do um, so it is absolutely terrifying to do these things.
0: And I was wondering, Naeb said you were the one that was crazy about Pootie Tang and had to show it. Why?
2: Um, well, Faina. Have you seen Pootie Tang? The thing is a classic.
0: I, mean, I know that. <laughs> one, of the,
2: one of the most
5: underappreciated films of our time.
1: Sorry, I just wanted to give some tension music there. <laughs> okay. Right.
3: I, I didn't know where that was coming from. <laughs> I got.
2: I, uh, yeah, uh, Tang was, I don't know, um, we have been talking, you know, I've, uh, I always want to collaborate with Secret Celluloid Society, like since, you know, the, the the beginning of the thing. I think one of like the trial runs was at Borscht in 2012? Oh, yeah,
1: it was it was developed at the, you know, the SCS, the beginning was developed also to be a sister thing where we can do fun screenings for people mm-hmm. to come out to Borscht.
2: Yeah, and and Puditang was, I don't know, it it, it just seemed like the right thing to show at the venue. We played it at the (laughs) Faena Hotel. it's a very beautiful hotel. There's. I wonder a, if Baz Luhrmann found out. You know, you know he designed that hotel. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
5: And
0: the the room itself was this plush red velvet theater oh, with deep Oh, it's sexy. Seats. It was very sexy. Very sexy with champagne flowing between the reels. So nobody was paying a lot of attention to Naive in the back except me. And I took a... Fabulous photo. I'm yeah. happy to say.
1: I was actually proud when a couple of people walked out at the beginning because they they were like, "This is this is not serious. This is." But it was actually really serious.
0: I thought it was very serious. Yeah,
1: it's, it was very serious. But some people were like, "This is ridiculous. Like, you know, this is, this movie, this this event, this whole thing." And you can t- you can usually tell right away um, what kind of people are gonna be not into the the ridiculousness.
0: And you've expanded on this idea. I mean, I think of Borscht when I think of the film festival and the things you do and how they pop into view and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Us as audience people, <laughs> I was for the first time in town for one of your festivals and able to participate. It was so much fun. and But trying to decipher and be sure the uh, instructions, I should go actually where they say to go, <laughs> And what was actually gonna happen and, and it, it was it was <laughs> challenging World. and fun. The Waterworld film screening it was on, then it was off, and then there was a map that came up that showed some drawing on it. Can a you hand. talk about
1: why that was? Uh, or talk talk about Waterworld.
0: Waterworld was a screening that was on an island that uh there was no ride to get to the island. The
5: screen was there's actually a new of island and it was enter at your own risk.
2: <laughs> yeah, it um so Basically, we, could, we had all these venues where we really wanted to do a screen of Waterworld on the water, and none of them really worked out. We got pushed off the mainland, Miami. They, like, we literally ran <laughs> out of land. Try land is a myth. Yeah, so we had really no <laughs> land anymore. Miami didn't exist for us, so we had to adapt to the seas, as we will all have to in the future. So Hold we it. found an island through I, I paddle Miami Kayaks. Um, <laughs> Manny over there really like, helped. iPaddleMiamiKayaks.com? <laughs> I don't know if that's a website, it's but, right. but um, yeah, and and so uh, the the concept was there's these boats, um, ballyhoo media that they play sort of billboards uh, on huge floating screens, um, and they drive around the beach and stuff, and so we teamed up with them to play Waterworld on there. it's a really wide screen, so uh, we couldn't decide like what to do with it because it would look kind of silly to have all this blank space on either side. So we played on one side the theatrical cut, which is 2 hours, 16 minutes, and right next to it we played the director's cut, which is over 3 hours. Sped up. Yeah, but we sped it up to make... They make them the exact same speed. Um, you mean length. Time. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, length yeah, of time. Yeah, same length. Um, and then... That's and, why you do the job you do, John King. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we had to... Um, the, the issue, Some of the other logistical issues is that we exist in kind of a gray legal area where you're allowed on certain islands to have gatherings of friends, <laughs> you're allowed to camp... But it's kind of tricky it's like at the discretion of uh three different organizations that oversee or or agencies that oversee these islands whether or not like it's not okay at what point does it become like this weird commercial party versus like hanging out with friends um
1: hey we're all friends
2: yeah exactly um so we had to our our intel um (laughs) our intel let us know that the coast guard was planning on breaking up the party at six o'clock um which it was the original stated start time of it, so we had to publicly we had to juke a couple of organizations including the coast guard miami d p miami police department on the water, and also the the parks department so um <laughs> Maybe they like Waterworld. That's
0: why you announced that it was canceled? Yeah, we
2: had to pretend like it was canceled on the one side. And then like we had to actually change the timing because they came at the original time. But at that time, we had a fake screening set up <laughs> where it was me and like three other guys watching a really arty film on the island. And the cops came and they were just like, what's going on here? Like, oh, we're just going to watch some movies with friends here. Come watch. And like, we tried to get them to watch this like, weird art film. And they are just like, there's nothing that will get them to go away faster. Fast just,
1: forward to later, like 250 people on the island, how many? No, there was there no, was a lot of people I on there. I don't know how many people. It had to be over 150 people on there.
5: It was probably yeah. over 150 people. Yeah. There was a, a Jacuzzi Boys concert. Uh, yeah, Neon Indian Neon Indian performed uh, and there was some uh, virtual reality uh, screening set up in, in, in different, and know, like say, different installations and I got
1: different say that to me was a life changing moment to show up on a boat and see all these people on this island and see people coming on kayaks with lanterns and see people leaving at like 2 in the morning like in a group of 30 in kayaks on lanterns and to me like I, I don't think you get a lot of those moments in your life where you really get like shift in perspective like that and it really like kind of i don't want to curse but it messed me up in a good way you know what i mean like i really was like wow these guys are nuts it
5: it was it was a great uh it was a great time and it was the kind of activation that um you know as artists in miami we want more of you know the the, those islands just sit out there unused for the most part sometimes people go to drink beer uh, Seems that movie uh, theaters
1: uh, are just getting emptier and emptier, and there's so much place, like so many places that are able to be used for things like this.
5: Right, we have a unique environment here, and and yeah. it, it's it's about uh, creating events that work with uh, the landscape and 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 use our landscape to our advantage, and that's that's what that night was was about to me. The wet. we and have th- the right weather for it.
0: I think you did it. A- You really made it happen. I felt it throughout the water theme and and just everything resonated that way for me as somebody who was participating. And then
1: you end up on the island and Michael Arcos had a a VR experience where they like tie Did he you put to it in j- my face I still don't know what he put I think it was face. a I think it was like a jelly donut like <laughs> a, like a zinger or something but okay so you you get to this place and f- f- first they ask you if you have any food allergies so when they say that usually you know all right something's up you know (laughs) and they they took you into this booth I did it I did it too it was amazing and so they put the VR on you and then they kind of like bind you and make you walk through the island and then sit you on a rotating chair and when you're looking around with the VR you turn to the back and then you see somebody's like body getting sawed in half and then I think someone blew, like, This a, is in virtual reality. Yeah. And, yes. And thank, I think someone, No, but, but they were doing confirming. things where he was, like, somebody, like, blew cigarette smoke in my face when someone walked by with a cigarette, you know, and then, like, they spun you around, and then someone starts massaging your back, and then as they throw, like, a body part, that's when they hit you with, like, a hostess cake or something in the face. <laughs> it was amazing. It, was, it really, like, that was a, that island that night was a real turning point for me, for sure.
0: Very cool. Well, I think let's get let's roll forward now to the actual film screening, the special night at the Olympia Theater. Good morning, if you're just tuning in, this is the Fresh Art International Show, and I'm Kathy Byrd. We're talking about filmmaking in and around Miami, about Miami, with the Borscht Film Collective members, and in studio with me today are John David Kane, Naive, Estefan, and Lucas Leva. And I would really like to talk about this 10th edition of the screening itself. How has the screening event changed? How do you always show a certain number of films? Uh, There were 24 featured that night.
2: Yeah, so uh, Borsch originally started as a one-night event, which was just sort of this thing where we play a program of short films that we generally had a hand in commissioning or helping create in some way. Um, The way our process works is we have a free open call to anyone interested in telling a story in, of, or around Miami, Um, and um, from there we have this panel of people and a certain amount of projects are chosen, and some of them just need sort of, you know, we need a, a little bit of money for it to finish up sound design or color correction. And uh, But some films are from people who've never made a movie before, but uh, may have experience in other artistic uh, practices and have a really compelling story to tell that only they can tell um, in Miami. So in those cases, we try to team them up with uh, other industry people or other mentors, from the process of turning that story into a script all the way through uh, the actual physical production to finishing it up. Um, and then we sort of play a, a version of that for a big Miami audience. And then after that, we sort of stay with the film. and think about release strategy, whether that's going to traditional film festivals like uh, around the world or putting it online or different things like that. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the other events around the festival kind of expanded around that, but that's still sort of like the heart of it. And this year, yeah, we did play 24 uh, films, most of which were commissioned or created for this event. Um,
0: and how did you select the films that, that did show that night on the screen?
5: Um, you want to talk but, about... Uh, The two new programs that we're running, No Bro Zone and First Generation American?
2: In order to pick the films that got grants to help uh, be created, we had a couple of uh, partners come on board this year, in addition to the Knight Foundation, which is our first and continues to be our our great supporter, um, LaCroix Sparkling Water, delicious water, um, came on to support an initiative that we call the the No Bro Zone. My favorite
5: sparkling beverage.
2: It's very good. Mine as well. So basically, one of the female grantees came to us and was like, um, even though I, lo- I work with a lot of male collaborators and really love them, it just seems like every time I'm going through a process of like fundraising or finding support for my film, I'm asking a man for permission to tell my story, and her story was very much about sort of that experience um, as a female and male-dominated uh, industry. So uh, we realized that, yeah, this makes sense. Um, so we removed... Um, men from every part of the green lighting decision making process of uh, for female filmmakers so when they were applying um, n- this no bro zone basically they never had to ask a man for permission to tell their stories I mean some collaborated with males like, throughout the process but really um, they didn't have to if they didn't feel like it and they didn't need to so there were some films that came from that process another uh, bit of funding came from this wonderful program called Time Warner 150 which is an initiative within the Time Warner corporate structure to bring in non-traditional voices into this uh, behemoth media behemoth and try to seed these voices into all their tentacles of media that they have. Um, but one of the, so they're looking for alternative sort of feeder systems of talent. One of the people that they're looking at is Borscht through Miami, and so they gave us some funding to commission shorts by first-generation American filmmakers. That means if either you you or your parents are born somewhere else, uh, which is you know as you know, 70% of Miami. Um, So those films, um, and really like the criteria, we have a collection of people, like both local people from different mediums, uh, kind of like reading over the applications. And really it all comes down to whether uh, it's a story that only they could tell. If someone else will probably fund it, if someone, you know, they'll find opportunities somewhere else, we're not really as interested as something that could only be made by that specific person that really uh, we are more equipped to handle. So... Yeah, and then the the main night screenings are decided basically because it's sort of our biggest screening, the ones that would play best. Like now that we have five days of events, we're no longer we no longer have to have these like insane three and a half four hour programs where we throw everything at the wall. This year, we made a conscious effort to slim it down and make it sort of a tighter program for the first time.
0: Well, we have a few of the audio tracks from the films, and I thought we'd start with Deer Squad. Which Uh, ended up being uh, screened at the Sundance Film Festival this year, correct? And the director I read was Scott Ross, and the story is, just to give you an idea of what you're going to be hearing, Kelvin Pena befriends a group of wild deer (laughs) that start hanging out in his backyard.
1: Money done brought the squad over here Some call me the deer whisperer Others call me the Dominican snow white I pulled up to my house and I see a deer with big old antlers in the back I'm like, oh snap, you know what I'm saying, this is crazy I'm out here eating crackers with my pet deer, his name Money So I just walk up to him, i expecting him to run away Because deer usually just run away, but he just like stayed It's my best friend right there, his name Money We play basketball whenever we board outside I got you powdered donuts too, my nigga, it's lit It's that good shit, Money, eat that up I named him Money just straight off the dome. Like, it was the first thing that came to my mind because I love Money and I felt like I love the deer. I was like, man, this man is lit. One time, he came like with his whole family and that's when I had to name them all. I was like, oh, here, I got Bambi over here. I got Canela over there. I got Money right there. What's your name? Lola. Come on, Lola.
0: What's behind this story, and how did it, how did it's real? Guy it's real? This yeah, guy's that, for real.
5: He's real. That's, that's one of the more truthful documentaries that. that well, he he posted his own too.
1: clip online where he would like. Was it Vine at that yeah, point? Yeah. He was like, "Hey, what's up, money? Everybody eats. Come here and give him deer's powdered donuts." It
0: was so much fun to watch that one. Yeah, we and to hear it too. Yeah. The dialogue is awesome. There's another one that I I really enjoyed, which is called the standard lease agreement, Uh, Jim Cummings, Dustin Hahn, and Julia Bales, Uh, and you'll hear this one now. It's a woman and her realtor go through her lease, but listen closely to the list that he goes through with her. Paperwork. Mm
4: That You got the keys to the apartment. Okay. Do I sign? Yeah, just sign right down there. Actually, give me the initial down there. Okay. This is the water and electric. Okay. So just give me an initial there. There's fluoride in the water,
3: mm-hmm. just so you know. Okay,
4: mm-hmm. um, next page, uh, right there. Yeah, 9-11 was an inside job. Where's the Illuminati page? There's an Illuminati page, but I think i Oh, yeah. All right, so the government is controlled by the Illuminati right there. I'll just burn that later. Here. Oh, the Chinese control the weather. They've been doing that for 20, 30 years. Okay. And jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams at that Christ. degree. Uh, Queen Elizabeth is an alien lizard mm. creature. Oh. And Bob Hope is a lizard creature as well. Okay. And do you, do you know any other lizard creatures or ancient aliens? No. No. Cool. cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and a sign here that I kind of walked you through the house and yeah. saw their new refrigerator. Mm, I'm excited. And the moon landing was faked right here. And Bay of Pigs was a false flag. Cancer was cured about 60 years ago. Denver Airport is a portal to hell. Oh, yeah. Men in Black is a documentary. Right here. Yeah. Just okay. Sure. And cool. here is the map of Dallas. Yeah. Here's the book depository. Mhm. And JFK was right there, so that doesn't really work out. Doesn't make the story doesn't work out. Doesn't make much no sense. Okay. So a sign Right there. Okay. The magic folder. Right. But uh do you have a map of the apartment complex? Absolutely not. Okay. We're off-grid. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to stay off-grid. You Got don't it. want to do that yes. for the rest of your life. Yeah. So, last question: Mm -hmm. Uh, You're not a lizard person, are you? No. Welcome to the neighborhood.
0: Awesome, great. So, what about this one?
2: Um, That that one was actually we didn't commission that one. Um, That was by our friend Jim Cummings that we know from Festival Circuit, and he's. Really talented filmmaker, made a great short called Thunder Road, which is online, you should check out. But um, I think it spoke to a lot of the, uh, the strife around real estate, a lot of Miamians kind of feel. Um, and yeah, that's sort of, we, we're also existing in this place now where like if uh, filmmakers have kind of weirder films that like they don't really know what to do with, sometimes they'll just send them to us and they'll find a home here. And I think that was one of them that Jim makes like, re- he's a really incredible filmmaker, but this is like definitely one of his like weirder things. That was a whole movie um, that you just played.
0: I um, know it was. I, I just loved yeah. how subversive it was, and <laughs> just funny to listen to. The next film that we're going to listen uh, to is actually represented by a conversation I recorded with the filmmaker, Alexa Lim Haas, Man. and the animation is titled Agua Viva. I think everyone in the audience was. Just really impressed with this piece, and there were
5: it's really beautiful. It's it's, beautiful, yeah. It's one of my favorite uh films from that evening.
0: And you'll hear in our conversation that she was indeed one of the beneficiaries of the No Bro Zone grant.
6: I come first to clean and to open. My favorite hour of the day is the one before anyone gets here. The only thing to do is to wait. Like sitting in the back of a car. Not talking, just thinking. Words are so solid, but my thoughts are so fluid. So I use simple words that translate, that avoid miscommunication.
0: Welcome. I would say your project, Alexa, was a favorite.
7: The reception was surprising for me because I know you remember there was a little note in the beginning that said the film wasn't done. So I was really nervous about playing it um, because I'd also just been so in the movie working frame by frame until just the week before Borscht. So I I couldn't really even see the movie anymore at that point. So it was really an overwhelming experience for me. (laughs) You know
0: what? I think that apology really brought people's hearts into the experience of watching.
7: I was actually scrambling for the three months leading up to the festival trying to get this movie to a good place so that it could play. Um, So, yeah, that's what all, all my energy was for, to play somehow um, and I, I actually I was actually really uh, surprised that they ended up playing it on the big screen that night so you were a new borscht grantee honestly the big push for me to apply I saw that they announced this no bro zone grant which is judged by a female panel and um, there's just no boy say in it at all uh, I, I was really motivated. A struggle for me in my past is that my own voice is maybe a very feminine one. I've had people say that my work is unrelatable or that it's not feminist enough. And um, I realized in the last year that I just didn't have enough women looking at my work.
0: That's really amazing. I love that no bro zone idea of enabling women to express themselves in the field. What is the story that you're telling?
7: Um, So Algo Viva is about a manicurist in Miami who um, who doesn't speak English very well, and she's trying to uh, articulate her inner feelings and observations that she has throughout the day in the little bit of English she knows.
0: You've told me that your
7: motivation for
0: representing this particular character is related to your own
7: struggle with language. Yes, uh, most definitely. I feel like uh, every movie I've made, actually, there, it's sort of an undercurrent of it. And this was the first time that I was making a movie specifically about it. Maybe because I grew up in a Filipino household, or also because I had trouble a lot of trouble reading growing up um, I even though English is my first language and only fluent language, I feel like i I can't wield it as strongly uh, as I would like to um, i've I've always had trouble um, condensing all of my thoughts into into words really and so there's even a line in agua viva where she says my thoughts are so fluid uh but words are so solid the thought to word has always been like i've never been able to quite put my finger on exactly how i feel
6: cuticle. cuticle
7: cuticle Long
6: or short, long or short, round or square. Arthritis, arthritis, reflex reflexology, reflexology, reflexology.
0: Welcome. The context mm. in which this drama with this young woman occurs is a manicure salon. Let's talk
7: about what we would see... It's kind of funny because before, when I was uh, ta- when I was telling people about the movie, before I had started animating it, I would say to them that this was a movie more about the orange on the table than it is about all the people coming into <laughs> uh, a manicure salon. It is composed of a lot of close-ups, mostly of hands, uh, sometimes feet, just the body parts basically that are being worked on. Um, and... Through, throughout the first 75% of the film i would say you, you hardly even see uh Mei-Mei, the main character uh, but you hear her voice and you're just looking at the things that she's looking at for like for example the microwave spinning or the tv playing or the fan blowing tell me what is the meaning of the title of this film Agua Viva means jellyfish in Portuguese. I've always loved that phrase or that word. I really like the direct translation of it where when you break down the words, it's uh, living water. I chose it for this movie to represent sort of the, the fluidity of her thoughts, um, as opposed to the solidity of her words. <laughs>
0: What surprised you the most about the success of Agua Viva?
7: I never knew if, how it would connect to other people. And I think that was really the, the surprise of, of Forged for me. It was just seeing how many people have had very strong emotional responses to it, uh, particularly females, which was um, my favorite part of the whole experience, was uh, the conversations that I had with other women after after showing the movie. Today is my birthday.
6: This year, on a Tuesday, when I remember all the nights by the river, I wonder how I ended up here so far away. My hair is so long now. How many hours of the day do I try to make the body happy? My body lazy. It would sleep and eat only if I let it, if it could.
0: This is the oldest I have ever looked. Am I the same person? Good morning. This is the Fresh Art International Show. We're broadcasting live from the studio at Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. That was my conversation with Alexa Lim Haas about her film, Agua Viva. And here with me in the studio today are Lucas Leva, John David Kane, and Naive Estefan. Now it's time to talk about Lucas Leva's filmmaking. You're one of the founders and one of your new films was in the festival. You and Jillian may have been collaborating on films for years now. How did you guys start working together?
2: Jillian applied to Boris in 2009, and her project was so insane that we had her come in for an interview just to see if she was, like, a, a, a crazy person or, like, a, this was, like, an art thing. And we found that she was was not... Well, she was kind of a crazy person, but, like, also... Very intelligent, very uh, good artist, and yeah, even though she got rejected that year, she volunteered on several sets. Um, she helped with like catering uh, craft services, snacks and stuff, and then she had an idea for a very short film that she came to me with later, and then we helped make that, and it went well, and then from then we yeah, we've been collaborating ever since. Um, yeah, and in general, there's a lot of we'll talk about like a lot of collaboration of course. Like people constantly working on each other's projects, doing different things. Like speaking of just like Alexa, Alexa originally came down because she was helping on a short called Sea Devil by Dean Marshall and Brett Potter that happened in twenty twelve, and then she helped out with Bernardo, who's like this local animator. He she collaborated with him on some films, which actually uh, Naive did did the music for uh, one or both of, or two of them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, naive here did the music for that, which went on to win
1: with, with Otto von Schirach. We've done the scores for some Borscht films.
2: Yeah, and that short went on to win a jury prize at Sundance. Actually, so it's, yeah, it's really exciting how like sort of there's all this sort of crossover between who's doing the events and, and who's wasn't doing that the event. first animation from Miami that ever won
1: like a Sundance?
2: Yeah, yeah, award. Um, yeah. which is like really exciting, to make that happen. But yeah, it just. This sort of like uh, switching of roles and collaboration, like John Kane helps with the festival, he also directs, he also produces some things. It's like a very fun... Uh, I have yet to thing. see you act in something. I,
5: I- Oh, I just did that. I, Brett Potter and Dean Marshall, so speaking of them, uh, the directors of Sea Devil, uh, which was our introduction to uh, to Alexa... Um, they just came back down and, and did a piece that's playing in Tribeca in two or three weeks. I was a park ranger yeah, uh, who had sighted a UFO. And so I was uh, explaining my experiences.
0: I'm really interested now in talking about uh, uh, the film that, that we saw that mm-hmm. went to Sundance also. And it's a film like nothing you and Jillian have ever made before.
2: The name of the film is Kaiju Bunraku. And um, it is uh, all the characters that you see in the film are really intricately made um, Japanese bunraku puppets. Which, uh, to describe it as someone who hasn't seen it before, they're like, the faces are pretty much immobile. They're about three and a half feet tall, and they're each controlled by three puppeteers wearing all black with black hoods. But you see them. You're not trying to hide the puppeteers. And so there's one puppeteer controlling the head and the right arm, one that does the left arm, and one that just does the feet. But they sort of work together to, um, yeah, to bring the puppet to life. And then there's one person named the Taiyu, or the Chanter, who's sitting to the side of the stage uh, in the traditional form, sort of doing the voices of all the different characters, and it's sung in a form of uh, sort of ancient Japanese.
0: Where did you film this?
2: Uh, we we filmed it at the Miami Theater Center over Miami Shores, um, which was actually the home it's of the, the very first. very first Borscht Film Festival was held at the yeah. Miami wow. Theater
5: Center, wow. in Miami Shores.
0: You described the film as a day in the life of a man and his wife. Mm-hmm. It's so much more than that. Let's listen to a few sounds of it and then talk more about the film. <laughs>
3: 超いら物がたらん
2: That
0: was a sample of the soundtrack from a film by Lucas Leva and Julian Mayer. And what a tragic film you showed. A <laughs> 13 minute tragedy.
2: Yeah. Or, I mean, there's some hopeful things. Or there is it. hope. Yeah.
0: There is hope. The butterfly, though.
2: Yeah, even that dies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the movie. Nothing uh, lasts forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the film, the plot of the film is uh, it basically exists in this world where it's like the world of. Japanese giant monster movies so it's like what is the family life like there in the countryside where like once in a while a giant dinosaur stomps through and destroys uh, everything you own and then you have to rebuild and then like maybe a few months or years later again like a giant moth comes by and destroys your life like what is the the emotional labor like what is it existing in that world how do you respond to these forces that are greater than yourself
0: where does this film go from here this was that Sundance what's happening for it now
2: so the history of the film is, I, I wrote it a few years ago um, as a play for the 24-hour theater festival that Naked Stage does. And we put it on, like I wrote it overnight, and then it was put on, and it got pretty bad reviews um, from the theater community here. Um, and then it sort of served as the, uh, originally that, this film was supposed to be the opening scene of a feature film I wrote um, with Jillian, which is sort of like a larger Cuban-American monster movie. Um that takes place in Miami and Cuba, but it's uh, yeah almost like a remake of Mothra, where they find these tiny twins, Yi the and they summon a great monster. Um, but originally, this was supposed to be a play that the two main characters were seeing at the beginning of the film, and we got a grant from um, Creative Capital to develop the film. And the only there's only one real uh, Japanese bunraku puppetry troupe, It takes years and years of training in Japan under masters to be able to you know do this correctly. And it's a man named um, Martin Holman at the University of Missouri. Yeah, mis- You
5: mean in America? There's only America, one real yeah. uh, Japanese bunraku puppet troupe in America. Yeah,
2: yeah, in America. Um, and who, like, speaks English and all that. So, uh, yeah, Martin um, has oh. this troupe in Missouri. And so we sort of, uh, you know, um, we wanted to take advantage of, like, having been able to locate him we're like okay we'll shoot the scene as the beginning of the film and then we'll shoot the rest of the film as we get more financing and things like that later um, but in the process of so we shot the film um, last year but in the process of rewriting we've actually cut that scene uh, so now it's sort of a standalone short um, I think what we've we're, I think we're gonna just put it online very soon um, and just have it out in, in the world um, we've already done like the festival thing with other short films and I think this will be You know, I I really want to see... Because I I was a little scared um, to... Yeah, I I really want to see sort of like the international reaction to this because it is all in Japanese. I'm not a Japanese speaker, but we took great care to be sort of authentic to that experience. And so far, the response from like the actual um, Bunraku puppetry community in Japan has been very positive. Like they're passing it around. They're really excited about it. So that made me happy. And I want to share it with more
0: That's very cool. We have to get to the end of this fabulous conversation, but we can't leave without talking about the finale of the Borscht Film Festival this year was an Oscar party. And it just so happens that a Miami film was up for an Oscar, the film Moonlight. And what an amazing, exhilarating experience to have Moonlight win the best picture.
1: What a moment in time.
0: Amazing. Tell me what Tell us what the connection is between Borscht and Moonlight.
2: So uh, Barry and Terrell have been very uh, generous about, um, about highlighting Borscht's involvement in name drop. So Barry Jenkins and Terrell McCraney are the... Barry Jenkins is the director of the film. Terrell McCraney um, is the writer, and, yeah, he wrote the original play. That was the source material. And um, Barry went to film school with Andrew Hevia, one of the founders of Borscht at FSU, And um, he made a feature film in 2007 called Medicine for Melancholy. And it was about a couple in San Francisco. And it really sort of captured San Francisco in a very special way. It was a character. And Andrew, you know, showed me the film and was like, uh, you know, if this guy created such a vibrant character out of a city that isn't even his hometown, imagine what he can do in Miami. We have to get him to do something in Miami. So the, with our first bit of Knight Foundation funding in 2011, one of the first commissions was Barry to come down and make a short. And he had sort of sworn off Miami, um, to, as is my understanding, and, and have you to come down and um, make the short film that would eventually be Chlorophyll. And I think during that process of making Chlorophyll, he saw sort of a different Miami than the one he grew up in and started considering it differently, um, and, you know, just the way that worked out. And he made a really, what I think is a, one of my favorite Bore shorts. Um, he did it with like, yeah, locals and my, my best friend, who's actually a, a neurosurgeon, is like one of the main actors in it, which is really funny. Looking back on that, um, and then from there, uh, Terrell, uh, Terrell McCraney went to New World School of the Arts. He graduated several years before me, but he became sort of like a mentor figure to me when I was a playwright. Um, and he was always very encouraging. He was one of the people that you know really inspired me to look at Miami as a place where you could tell stories and like a creative wellspring in, in that sense. And um, we had made a short film together in 20, 2009 um, called Day and Night Out, which I, I don't think was great, but it had some elements from like the original um, in Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue, and uh, which was uh, the source material for Moonlight. And um, Trell was like, "Oh, this was fun. We should do something with with this screenplay." And um, you know, in talking to Andrew, we realized, sort of, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely not the right person to tell the story, but here's someone who might who might be good at telling the story. So. Me and Andrew had uh, Barry and Terrell link up. Uh, We introduced them and shared the screenplay. Uh, And yeah, that started the collaboration. And then after that, sort of, Andrew took the ball and and ran with it. And you know, we didn't know how to put together a film or finance a film or actually make it happen, but I think Andrew linked up with uh, Adela Romansky, Romansky, Romansky. And um, from there, yeah, it became Moonlight.
0: So it's film history and we have to listen to the sound of it.
1: <laughs> What's
2: you? Why's you looking at me like that for?
1: What man? Come on, you just drove down here. Yeah.
5: Sha'em. For a long time, try not to remember.
1: Try
6: to forget all those
1: times. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you're gonna be. Can't let nobody make that
2: decision
7: for you. You gonna tell him why the other boys kick his ass all the time?
6: Wrong. I'm good. No, I'm seeing good. You ain't it.
4: Remember the last time I saw you.
6: You're my only. I'm your only. I'm no, 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 no. You oh, gon' go listen going. to who, Ma? i seen you in like a decade. It's not what I expected. But what did you expect?
0: And what a triumph for Barry Jenkins and Terrell McCraney, for Borscht, for Liberty City, for Miami, and the world, There's, I think. Yeah,
5: w- There's watching- a free screening of Moonlight uh, at PAM. Perez Art Museum, uh, tomorrow night, uh, Thursday. Uh, so if you haven't seen the movie yet, uh, go, go see it at PAM tomorrow night. Um, that's Perez Art Museum, Perez Art Museum, Miami. Uh, there'll be a Q and A with, uh, with Andrew Hevia and some other members of the cast. Uh, so, so yeah, go, go out and see the movie. It's, it won three Oscars.
2: Yeah. And, and that sort of is really like the most surreal part of this whole thing because for years like you know we had sort of it felt like we were shouting into the wilderness this idea that um, Miami stories mattered and that if Miami stories were just given the slightest platform and like chance uh, they would resonate with people around the world in a meaningful way and the fact that you know again Boris had very little to do we had nothing to do with the actual making of the film there were a lot of people from the community that did work on it for example John Kane sitting here and a lot of people but the the fact that it, it exists is sort of a testament to how much the community has changed and like how much of our rhetoric has come true um, in the last you know ten years we went from literally like a filmmaking joke to like having all these things uh, you know every presence every year at Sundance the Academy Award for Best Picture literally happened and you know our original mission was redefine cinema in Miami and I think you know, at the risk of having a George Bush moment of mission accomplished so that we we have uh, achieved some large uh, steps towards You just did the it. School. Yeah. <laughs> So it's not complete mission accomplished, but... Uh, <laughs> no, that, I think that's an
5: ever-expanding mission. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Uh, uh, they're, 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 I don't think it'll ever be accomplished. I feel like the city
2: is always redefining itself. When you find and the Buddha cut and, off his head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. and and even, it, you know, doubts that I still have about things. Like when Naib told me that his idea for Secret Celluloid Society, I was like, I don't think people in Miami are going to care about 35 millimeter, honestly. Like, I didn't think it would be a thing. And now, I don't know how many years later, like, he's he's sold out last week. Like, it's one of the most popular in like vibrant film communities in town and you know the, the city is constantly surprising me as it as it grows and like does. never right. underestimate it, it, miami
5: it's mm-hmm. not that there wasn't an audience for it so uh, uh the the audience the audience just hadn't been discovered and yeah. i feel like that's that's uh um yeah, something that we we found to be true with the independent filmmaking community and audience for independent film here in Miami, and that's uh, Naive has found that to be true uh, with 35 millimeter uh, appreciation for 35 yeah, millimeter. And even screenings.
2: that, like it, wherever, like you know, Na- Naive's organization is mobile, and wherever it goes, like he he hosts it in a theater, and then like they sort of continue the program after Secret Satellite Society moves on to a point where like now there's multiple late night repertory 35 millimeter things happening, which is revival cinema. Um, which is really fascinating to me that these, you know, after Naive sort of catalyzes the community, these uh, venues sort of, um, yeah, keep it going. Yeah, and, and
0: Naive, what's going on for you next?
1: Well, you're first to hear it here, but we're going to do a summer tour.
5: You heard it first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Secret
1: Celluloid Society is going on a summer tour. Summer tour, a different spot every week. So we're ready to, to stir up some
0: stuff. Okay, I know they have a Facebook page, so I guess you have to keep an eye out there. Yeah.
1: Don't call and us, we'll call you. That's <laughs> right,
0: and he is the gatekeeper. If you get through, you're lucky. In the studio with me today are Lucas Leva, John David Kane, and Naib Estevan. All great energies behind the Borscht Film Festival and the Borscht Collective, and I really thank you for joining me today. It's been a blast.
5: Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks so much. This was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah.
0: If you like what you're hearing, please let us know on social media. You'll find us at Fresh Art Intl. and at Jolt Radio. If you find the show informative, inspiring, please consider supporting the work of Fresh Art International. And you can go to freshartinternational.com and. Push the support button and uh, get behind us as we continue to spark these kind of conversations at Jolt and around the world. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lucas. You can hear us every Wednesday. Thank you for listening.